At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Good morning. My name is David Patton. I am a pastor here at Gospel Community Church, and as always, we are so excited for you to join us as we open up God's Word, pour through it, begging God, pleading with God to reveal more of Himself to us this morning. The text this morning reminds me of a situation I was in about three or four years ago. I confronted a man. He was standing right there. He, he was a per, persuasive man. He was very slick-tongued in his knowledge and usage of the biblical text. Uh, and he wasn't unfamiliar either. He was a man who I knew. I knew his name. Uh, I knew some of his story. In fact, he had even gone through part of our new members class but never became a member. This morning I had overheard uh, conversations that he was having with others in the church, and they always seemed pushy and divisive. And up until this point, we had just considered him a wayward sheep or maybe even a hard-headed goat, a man who we wanted to uh, inform with the text, uh, help him with his doctrine and theology, but not push him out of the church uh, until this morning, he was standing right there. I was up in the tech booth um, and saw him. And as he drew people around him, you could see him looking side to side, looking around, making sure the coast was clear as he began to counterpoint and teach uh, a, a gospel, a message that was completely and utterly opposed to the message that had been preached this morning, that morning, that morning we were talking about God's way of salvation, God's way of salvation, and he was counterpointing our points, um, which we would, again, hold God's way of salvation as a closed-handed issue in our church again, and so this was a very serious offense. As I, as I walked to him, his tone changed. He switched to me and was pushing back just at my presence. He said to me, are you trying to silence me? Can I not talk to these people? As I said, I'm simply trying to ask you to bring your grievances, bring your dissension, bring your comments and questions to the leaders of the church so that we can discuss these instead of around the new members of the church. As he came to the back at the end of uh, the gathering time, he came to the back and met with a group uh, of our leaders, and it became clear that his dissension was what was most at hand. He twisted and gnarled the text, even in defense of uh, his rhetoric that he was spewing before our people. Uh, that day, we asked him to leave and not ever come back into our presence, which uh, he did. Another time, I was standing back there in the back where Charles Bird is standing right now. Kirk and I were standing together, and we spoke with a man who had come into our congregation, and he had been in probably about three or four times. He was a very loud and boisterous man. When Kirk would preach, he was loud and boisterous in his response, and what it was causing was this confusion in the congregation. When he would respond to Kirk, you could see people looking around like, what is this guy doing? This morning, Kirk and I greeted him in the back of the church um, and just said, hey, man, we're so happy that you're here with us, and we want you to join with us as we open up God's word. But while we're doing so, can you tone down your voice? Can, can you allow others to hear the word without hearing from you more? At which point he pronounced a curse upon Kirk's house that a tornado would strike it down. Uh, he also told us that he was a prophet of God. In fact, he had a very short name, but he had a tagline that wouldn't fit on a business card. And so um, he, he called himself a prophet of God, saying that um, in his wake, 
churches would disintegrate and fall apart when they called him out or disagreed with him. Uh, that day he was asked to leave and to never return, uh, which he did. Oh, and Kirk's house did not get knocked down by a tornado. And the church has not disintegrated. <clears throat> Amen. I say all this to say that Kirk and I and the leaders of this church have fought for this congregation of God's people. Many times over the many years, uh, we know that Satan hates a growing and vibrant, Christ-centered, gospel-centered church and will work to destroy it from without and within. One of our jobs as shepherds of the flock is to stand up on stage and warn you of the dangers of the world, of movies, websites, addiction, cultural ebbs and flows in morality and music. We stand on stage and, and tell you to watch out for these things. The world wants to tempt you, to bait you, to draw you into sin. Don't give in to the temptations of the world, we say. Don't read magazines that teach our women and our girls to be consumed. Don't buy the lie that your retirement is best lived collecting seashells on the seashore in your golden years. The world wants to give you the desires of your heart so that it renders you useless useless. These dangers are highly identifiable and easy to point out, and we make it a point every week to warn you. But a more difficult task of a shepherd is also to warn you and to keep you vigilant for the false teachings within the church within the church, the dangers that arise from within. The church is a place where we love one another, share things with one another, bear each other's burdens. We hold each other accountable and speak the gospel to one another. Kirk stands up on stage each week, delivers the gospel message. We go into homes and divide out, and, and, and we learn from one another. It's also a place where you can become isolated. It, it, it's a place where... Um, one small word can lead to great under, misunderstanding, especially when we are weak in our faith um, and we, when we are susceptible to manipulation and corruption. And it doesn't take much, like I said, just one simple word. Take, take this, for example, on the screen. John 1.1 in the ESV says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was... God. In the Jehovah's Witness New World Translation, it reads, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. One letter, one tiny word, completely changes the meaning of that scripture and the deity of who Christ is. We uh, believe that the word is Jesus, Jesus, the eternal God, the, the, the member of the Trinity, Jesus. Uh, Jehovah's Witness, on the other hand, believe that the word is the archangel Michael, who is the pre-incarnate uh, Jesus, not a member of the Trinity. And it leads to, one letter leads to um, misunderstanding, confusion, and a slippery slope on not knowing God. What about adding to the gospel? Well, this is the small word, three letters, and. The, the gospel and. Salvation is obtained through faith in Christ for, as the atonement for our sins and anything else. Anything else. Church attendance, tithing, mission work, anything else that's tied to the gospel with an and is, in fact, anti-gospel. Anything that adds to the work of Christ is anti-gospel. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 1.6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. 
accursed, accursed, damnable, accursed, condemned. Anyone who preaches an added to or subtracted from gospel is subject to damnation and condemnation. Those are strong words, but it's a serious offense for the children of God are precious to him. Those who would lure away his children then become objects of his wrath. Paul, Peter, John, even old one chapter Jude, devote much of their teaching and writings to warning against these false teachers. Jude says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you about uh, appealing uh, to you to contend to the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were destined or designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny the only master, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thus, is an important job for the pastors of this church, and in fact, all pastors, to protect the flock from the teachings within. And I don't mean in a micromanagement sort of way that stifles thought, questions, or conversation, but in a way that teaches the truth of the Word of God and saturates the church in the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they can spot a lie, not that they know all the lies, but they know the truth. They know the truth. Peter today then is switching gears. He was cruising along last week as he laid a foundation for trust in his apostolic status as one who knew Christ and was personally appointed by Christ. But also the word that they preached and the scripture that they wrote were also the very words of God. This week he's changing gears, picking up some speed and ripping off the blinders. You know, in the same way when you teach your children, of course, once they're old enough, the reason why you don't run away from mommy and daddy and Target is because there's actually people who want to take you away from mommy and daddy and do harm to you. You, you rip off the blinders of the innocence. That's what Peter's doing this morning. He's saying, hey, this is who I am. This is what I teach. This is the true word. And there's people who want to treat teach you a false word, and draw you away from our only God. Last week, we believed the truth, and this week, we want to expose the lie. So let's get into the text this morning. Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 1, it says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. But, let's stop at the first word. Right, right, but. But is a connective conjunction, literary majors. Connective conjunction, that means it's going to contrast two clauses. So here's clause number one, paraphrased. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, when Jesus was transfigured and we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for he was with us on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along in the Spirit. So that was the text last week, so I'm just going to break it down in summary. Here's what Peter was saying. The prophets of old were so guided by the Spirit of God, and we, the apostles, are so appointed by the God-man, Jesus Christ, by whom we speak of power, that to hear our prophetic word is to so hear from God. Thus, to disobey our true word is to disobey the living and one true God. We are the true teacher and the true prophets of God. Remember the Prophets of old spoke as they were carried along in the Spirit of God, speaking the words that they heard from God to man. In the same way, the apostles had apostolic authority. They were with Jesus. They were commissioned by Jesus, and they were carried along in the Spirit so as that when they spoke from their official office and wrote from their official office, they were writing and speaking the very words of God. But 
Even while the prophets of old spoke the true word of God, false prophets among them, the people of old, uh, false prophets arose among the people of old, and you should be aware too, because false teachers will bring lies now. That's what he's telling his church. That's what he's telling them. First, uh, false prophets arose among the people. What he's doing here, this first little sentence of chapter 2, is connecting it back to chapter 1. Remember, in the Bible, chapter ver chapters and verses were added later. This is a letter. It's a fluid thought that Peter is telling. He's basically saying, we were the true word, or we, we have the true word, but other peoples bring in lies, okay? And so, in the Old Testament... Prophets were delivering the very words of God to God's people and God's kings. They were delivering a difficult message saying that you have transgressed a pure and holy God. You have been sinful before him and, and, and you've brought about it upon yourself, judgment and wrath. In fact, Hosea went so far as to call the people of Israel a wife of whoredom and, and Jesus their jealous husband. So all throughout Jewish history, Israel had transgressed its covenant with God by following these false prophets, following gods of other nations, and disobeying God um, while God was working in the background. He was speaking through men and essentially giving them a, a proto-gospel. He was giving them uh, gospel nuggets to tell his people so as to look forward to their salvation, to, to a Savior who was to come, who we know is Jesus. But in contrast to this proto-gospel message that the prophets of old were speaking, the false prophets of the world were making their own prophecies uh, that were much easier on the ear. Jeremiah records this in chapter 23 when he says, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of Yahweh. They say continually to those who despise the word of Yahweh, Listen, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. For among for who among them has stood in the council of Yahweh to see and hear his word? Do, do you hear their message? If you despise God, it will be well with you. If you follow your own heart, no disaster will come upon you. So if the prophets of old were speaking a proto-gospel, these prophets who are false prophets are speaking an anti-gospel, right? The, the prophets are saying, you need, you've fallen away from God. God is chasing after you. God will send a Messiah. And they're saying, you don't need a Messiah. You're good. Here, here's a note from the Old Testament. If it's too good to be true, it's probably false. False prophets of old brought messages to God's people that were, as we saw, in sharp contrast to the word of God. And in the same way, Peter says, this will happen to you. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. That's where he goes next. False prophets of old false teachers now in the early church. And the goal of today is not to educate you on every false teaching and heresy that can be found. We don't have enough time, and I feel it unprofitable to do so. What I do want to do is give you the truth. Here it is. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died in our place and for our sins and rose from the grave. He is eternally triumphant over his enemies and so that there is now no condemnation for those who place their faith in him, believing in him, but only everlasting joy in his presence. Amen. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. In Christ alone, revealed in the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. Praise God. Praise God. But what I do want to do is list out some uh, heresies that were in, the old, were in the new church because I think they link to some that are present today. So just follow along with me. In the new church, as the gospel was preached and men became saved, 
there was a group called the Judaizers. Uh, the Judaizers were, were Jewish who had adopted Christianity, but in doing so, placed upon new converts the ceremonial and moral and uh, uh, yeah, ceremonial moral restrictions of Judaism, such as uh, what to eat and what not to eat, such as uh, circumcision. This would have been known in the early churches, works righteousness. The gospel, Jesus saves, plus you have to be circumcised. Jesus saves, but don't eat shellfish. Jesus saves, but you have to go to the temple as well. All of them were putting conditions on the, the, the beliefs of the faith of new converts in the first church. Um, what it does is it denies grace alone. It denies grace alone. It's saying grace plus, grace and, the gospel and. Um, and we know that to be false. And in Acts, much work was done in writing and in traveling by the, the uh, apostles and the disciples as they combated this false teaching and this heresy. Um, next, uh, antinomianism. Don't worry about that. Don't remember that. Antinomianism is basically faith minus work. So if we had the gospel plus, this is the gospel subtracted. Antinomian is one who takes the principle of salvation by faith, which can never be lost, to the point of uh, asserting that the saved are not bound to follow moral law. Essentially, I'm saved, therefore I do what I want. Um, I'm saved, therefore I continue to live my life. Um, there is no fruit, and essentially these people are practical atheists. They're practical atheists because they claim Jesus, yet act like they don't know him. Romans 6 combats this by saying, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And what does Paul say? By no means. By no means. Here's what he says. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We're baptized into his death. Uh, therefore, this, uh, this heresy denies uh, the sacrifice of Jesus, that our sins are put to death in the death of Jesus. Last, uh, Gnosticism or religious elitism or higher knowledge. Uh, they would be dualists. They would de-emphasize the body yet overemphasize the spirit. Body bad, spirit good. Therefore, everything done in the body is bad or a waste of time. It's only a higher knowledge that actually draws you into salvation. Um, and, and so that would deny essentially the scriptures alone. The scriptures alone, because it's a higher knowledge outside of what's contained in the scriptures that gets you saved. And here's the point of telling you all that. All of that is still going on today. In our churches, these are still being taught. Listen, works righteousness or religiosity or Jesus plus anything is a false gospel. You don't earn God's love or complete Christ's work by anything you do. Okay? You don't earn God's love, somebody needs to hear that, or complete Christ's work by anything you did. Christ's work is enough. It's enough. No matter what you have done, by putting your faith in Christ, for putting, placing your sins upon him on the cross, his cross is powerful enough. His promises are good enough to save it presents itself then in the world as you can never be assured of your salvation. Therefore, we must busy ourselves completing Christ's work through ours. Just as the Judaizers uh, negated justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, so does the teaching that there are things we must continue to do to complete our salvation. Thus, the denial of the power of the cross, like I said. What this leads to is a sham. It leads to a, a put-on, doesn't it? It leads to what Christ called the Pharisees, whitewashed tombs. How are you today, brother? Good, brother. Good to see you, brother. Goodbye, brother. And, and, we, go, and we go into our own homes. Uh, we, we don't open ourselves up to, uh, to, to other people, to accountability, because if I've checked off all of the, the check marks, then I'm good. If I haven't, I'm in total despair because I don't believe in the power of the cross, of Jesus Christ. Faith minus works, or I do what I want. 
I like to call this uh, Southern Fried Easy Believism. Okay? Uh, essentially, it's the same thing as the antinomianism, right? It's I add a little Jesus on Sunday morning, and, and then I live my life how I want to the rest of the week. It all can also be presented as uh, do what you feel is right in your heart. There's no, there's no uh, absolute truth. It's all relative. What's good for me is good for me, and what's good for you is good for you. Um, though you don't earn God's love or complete Christ's work like you would in works righteousness, um, through your efforts, they, they are all a natural overflow of his works. It leads to a life of following desires of your mind and your flesh. Remember that? That's Ephesians 2. Following the desires of your mind and flesh and are by nature children of wrath. Children of wrath. This is a broad road. So many churches preach this easy believism. All you got to do is claim the name and then do whatever you were doing before. This is easy believism, which is a broad road that leads to destruction because there's no roots to the tree. There's no fruit on the tree. The tree is dead. Okay? But a tree of faith in Jesus as the roots produces fruit or the outworking or overflowing of the goodness of Christ. Last is religious elitism or higher knowledge. This teaching says that there can be more to know about Jesus and is really taught in the Bible. What you need to read is the Gospel of Thomas. What you need to do is go on lifeway.com and search everything that has the title under Christian, and it should probably be good, right? Or I should pour my energy into Bible codes or numerology or genealogies. Just because it's sold at Lifeway or in the Barnes & Noble Christian section does not mean it's gospel or true. In fact, I have a message for women that my, my wife um, encouraged me in uh, without naming names. Just because she is so funny does not mean she speaks the truth. Um, here's where I, I, what I feel about... This, this, this side of the topic, the word titillation. The word titillation means excite pleasurably or arouse a tingling feeling. When we're searching YouTube for more information, when we're searching it on aliens or on, on Bible code or on all of these interesting topics, I, we get this excited feeling like we know something somebody else doesn't. Well, I, I'm here to tell you this morning all you need to know for salvation, all you need to know for the life of Christ is found in this book. You, you, you must read no further, but you must read this. You must read this. And it calls us, it causes us to flounder or stagnate in our faith, uh, to lose focus on the point. And here's the point. Satan is at work and his schemes have not changed. He's been drawing people away from the very beginning and he's going to continue to until the very end. He wants to draw you away by religiosity, the checklist, works righteousness. wants to draw you away by moral decay or I do what I want. He wants to draw you away by an erroneous belief in who Christ is and what he's done for you or hasn't done for you. And he lies to you by telling you what you want to hear. Remember what I said of the Old Testament. It rings true today. If it's too good to be true, it's probably false. It's probably false. Guard your faith. Mm, guard your faith. And I'm going to talk about these a little bit more, but just so I can keep going. Guard your faith. We want to guard our heart, and we want to guard our brothers and sisters in the faith. So let's keep going, but, but, but as we go, I'm going to slow down just a little bit because this next sentence has been confusing people for eons. It says this, even denying the master who brought, bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, even denying the master that bought them, this troubling word is bought, uh, bought them. Who bought them? What did he use to buy them with? And, and here, here's the most troubling. If he bought them, aren't they still his? 
Aren't they still his? So let's dig into this real quick. Master in the Greek implies someone exercising unrestricted power and absolute dominion, confessing no limitations or restraints. So we can safely say here by a reading and also other usages in the Bible, this master refers to God, God the Father, uh, the master of the universe. So what currency does he use then to purchase with? Here's this from 1 Peter 1.17. I love this verse. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed. Ransomed equals bought. Bought equals ransomed. You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blood. God the Father purchases sinners with the blood of Jesus, who's spilt his blood in your place and for your sins. It's totally attainable through faith. Okay, so let's continue. So if he bought them with the atoning blood of Jesus, do they not still belong to God? Well, what do people look like who belong to God? I think is the next question. What, what does a Christian look like? And real quickly, those who are purchased by the redeeming blood bear good fruit. They bear good fruit. So here, here's three fruit we're going to just compare them to. They love God and love each other. A sign of, or fruit of salvation is an unnatural love for God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit and God's children. Number two, are, they are being sanctified and persevering in the faith. So uh, they are growing more like Jesus and less like them old, their old selves. Number three, they are obeying God's commands, repenting of their sins, and producing fruit. So, so let's just use this litmus test to see if these false teachers are, in fact, bought by the blood. Uh, when we scan ahead in the chapter, so not, not, not giving too much away, but let's scan ahead in the chapter. Uh, verse 9 says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and keep the unrighteousness unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Verse 12, but these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will be destroyed in their destruction. That's, that's strong. Destroyed in their destruction. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. That's strong. Uh, for it would have, be, have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it turned back on the holy commandment delivered to them. So, so by a careful reading of the context in which this text lies, I would say that these false teachers are not bought and redeemed Christians. But Peter is using the sentence to essentially call them what they're calling themselves as they come into the church. Because yeah. a false teacher doesn't come in looking like a false teacher. They look like you and I. They're looking slick, got their hair slicked back. They're probably not wearing boots or plaid, but they are looking like you and I. <laughs> These are not redeemed believers. They, they know in their minds the way of righteousness. That's what the, the text said. They know in their minds the way of righteousness, but it has not changed their hearts. It's not changed their hearts. Verse 2. Woo! We're moving now. Verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And many will follow them. Many souls in church. Many souls in church will follow these false teachers away from the true gospel, following an anti-gospel that tickles their ears, that feels good, that sounds good, all the way heading down the broad road of destruction. Verse 14 says, They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. False teachers prey on the weak, the unsteady souls, the outcasts and outliers of the church. 
people new to the faith, people not rock-hardened by pain and suffering, but naive and pliable in the faith. These unsteady Christians lack a firm foundation in the Christian faith and become easy prey. So I want you to write this down, save it for later, meditate on it throughout the week. Do you have a target on your back? Do you have a target on your back right now? Are you easy prey right now for false teachings, for anti-gospel, for demons and Satan to destroy? Here's three questions and they'll come up on the screen. How familiar are you with the Bible? Yeah, I've, I've, I've read, you know, uh, the, the Gospel of Thomas. You know, I've read, I do a daily devotional by, not going to name, sorry. <laughs> um, no, how familiar are, are you with the Bible text? Do you have a memory verse? Do you, can, can you go to a verse right now that's going to lay out the gospel to someone in need of salvation or to you who is being tempted beyond your power to abstain? Do you have a memory verse? Do you know the meta narrative of the Bible? God's creation, the fall, the redemption through Jesus Christ, the glorification when he comes again. Do you know that? Is it a comfort to you? And is it a shield that you use as the flaming arrows of Satan are raining down? How well are you, are your gospel ears trained? Gospel ears, gospel eyes. We talk about that often. When secret service agents uh, want to learn money, be trained in money so they can spot counterfeit monies, they don't go peruse through counterfeit money, do they? They touch, fold, smell, taste, whatever. Real money. They, they train with real money. Why? So they can always see a counterfeit. Does that make sense? That makes sense. That's our gospel ears and eyes. When we are so saturated in the true gospel, we're saved by grace, and somebody comes in and says, hey, man, um, here's what you really need to do. You can say, you know, boop, 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 boop. No, that's wrong. No, that's wrong. Jesus already did it. And now what I must do is produce fruit because my roots are in him. How isolated are you in the church? Number three, how isolated are you? Are, are you a Rambo Christian who, who, who says, I'm going to do this on my own. I don't need these guys. Or are, are, you, are you holding back? Are you holding back? I'm not going to go to groups. I'm not going to sign up for groups. I, I, I'm going to sit in the back row. Uh, I, I'm not going to talk to anybody because I don't want them to know me. You're isolating yourself from the truth of the gospel that we want to bear your burdens. We want to grow with you. We want to share our faith with you so that we can love and follow the same God as one family. We want to know the truth and expose the lies. That's what all this is about. Know the truth and expose the lies. So what Peter has just done in verse 2 is told you how to spot a fake. We, we know the truth of the gospel. We, we need to be able to spot a fake. He said um, sensuality, greed, and pride. Sensuality, Greed and pride. Sensuality is over-sexualized, hyper-sexualized. Lives of sin and sexual indulgence that lead to doctrines that condone others' sin or condone your own sin. They are known by their fruit. Their eyes are full of adulteries, what Peter says. And they are hungry for or insatiable for sin, not only in action but in condoning of others. False prophets generally don't craft their doctrine in a vacuum. It's born out of their sin. Why do we want the pastors of the church to be pure and holy? So they, they don't hold back when holding others accountable. When they don't hold back in church discipline as we seek after others naming their sin. If, if that's my sin too, I'm going to be real gentle. I, in fact, I probably won't call it what it is. So we must have pastors that teach the truth, that call a sin a sin, and, and chase after those who are in sin. 
Matthew 7, this is Jesus speaking. He says, Beware of false prophets who come in uh, like sheep's, in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits or grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. By their fruits. So not only do these teachers uh, live and teach a lie, but they condone it in others. Teachers who condone the lives and the lifestyles uh, opposed to God's law for optimal human flourishing. That, that would be condoning uh, homosexual lifestyles. Uh, that would be condoning um, uh, lifestyles of, of gender fluidity uh, and, and fornication. That would be condoning uh, adultery, uh, sex outside of marriage. Uh, because these teachings are born in sin, they condone the sins of others. This is a, a dangerous road. It's a dangerous road. There's no freedom outside of God's law, only slavery and death. Number two, uh, a trait of a false teacher is greed. A desire for worldly riches and opulent living above that which glorifies God. Peter says they fleece the flock, and in their greed, they will exploit you. So I like to, when I see a fun word like exploit, I like to look up the definition. And I found some synonyms that will help us get an idea of what exploit is. Uh, let, let's see if anyone, any of these ring true with you. Exploit, abuse, capitalize on, cash in on, impose on or upon, leverage, milk, pimp, play upon or use. Got real quiet. Have you ever felt this way before? Used, leveraged, milked. Have you ever felt that way from a person in God's church before? These people who purport to be teachers of the words yet are milking their congregants. Do you, ever, uh, do you ever wonder why prosperity pe preachers fly around in jets? Do you ever wonder why their mansions, their compounds, uh, rival those of the wealthiest in the country? Do you ever wonder who reaps a harvest when you sow a seed? False teachers all over the world. All over the world. This, we are importing this false gospel all over the world. Well, false teachers all over the world from the days of the first church until now are abusing, capitalizing on, imposing upon, leveraging, milking, pimping, playing upon, and using the church for their greedy gain. And Jesus hates it. He is furious that his bride is being pimped. The bride of Christ is supposed to be presented with in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, that she might be holy and without blemish. And today around the globe, men are using this holy book and perverting its contents and, and staining and abusing Christ's beloved. And it's because of this that the wrath of God is coming and being kindled right now against the sons of disobedience. Uh, I, I'm... Sorry, I'm running long. Uh, passionate about this. Uh, passionate about this. This topic today. Uh, the last one is pride, uh, denying the faith and exerting themselves above it. Listen to this: by denying the master who bought them, quote unquote, they are asserting themselves above and inserting or inserting themselves above uh, their God's rightful position. They are no longer bringing sinners to Christ, but they are bringing sinners to themselves. So, moreover, in denying their salvation, they are exerting themselves as the Savior. Listen, any teacher who has written a book or knows of a book or teaches from a book that is held higher than the Word of God, enticing wayward souls towards them, is a prideful, false teacher who must not be listened to. Please listen, there is nothing needed to be known about salvation that is not contained in the Word of God. Yeah. 
Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. And that is contained within these 66 books. All 66 of them are screaming that message. The last part of the verse, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Sex, money, and pride. What a powerful cocktail of destruction on the church. But it's easy. We could all sit up here and name names, but but I want to name two. Myself and Kirk. Myself and Kirk are also susceptible to these sins. We're also susceptible to these sins. Please remember to pray for us. Please remember to beg for God to draw us closer to him daily. To, that, that our preaching would point to him, never to ourselves. That our counsel would point to him, never to ourselves. That our homes, that our pocketbooks, that, that our cars, that, that everything that we do, though we are sinful and our flesh yearns to point to ourselves, pray that God keeps us from that, keeping us focused on him. Because churches split. They crumble. They close their doors and die because of the combination of those three sins. And when this happens, Satan is reeling with joy as the world mocks the seeming destruction of God's church. Last, says their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Take comfort, Peter says, for this abuse will not go unnoticed by the Lord. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows the very moment that his church and his people will experience relief from the suffering of false teachers and false prophets. All of history is working towards this day. Revelation tells us that in the last days, the false prophet, a man who comes on the scene in the end times who will be doing signs and wonders. It says he will rise up. He will deceive the nations with great signs. He, will, he and the Antichrist will rule over the world, gathering to themselves an army. And God knows this. And he knows right now and for all time, Satan has been gathering to himself that army, one that is determined in pride to overthrow the one true God. Yet God from long ago knew of this battle. And friends, it is already won. Read with me on the screen. It says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured. And the false prophet who in its presence has done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the word, sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds gorged on their flesh. Comforting, right? <laughs> Jesus is that rider on the white horse with the sword coming out of his mouth with his robe dipped in blood, with a sign on his robe and on his thighs that says, King of kings and Lord of lords. He is coming to tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. The day of ultimate judgment is coming, and it has been destined from of old. It is the day when God's wrath is poured full measure on his enemies, the Antichrist, the false prophets, the hordes of the armies of Satan are all bound for destruction. And this prophecy is true. It's not idle. It's not asleep. God will vindicate his church and deliver his true children into the new heaven and the new earth. This is the hope that we have as a church. Jesus will right every wrong. He will return for his bride and he, will be, he has prepared for his bride a new heaven and a new earth. So until that day of vindication, we must be vigilant. Do not walk around with a target on your back. Our, our three points of application are going to harken back to what I just said. Know the truth. 
by being in the word. Not a word. Not another word. Being in the word. Pray, pray that God would open your eyes, open your heart to give you the desires to go to it, to run to it, to crave it every day. Because it is the word of life by which we grow closer to the Lord and by which we defend ourselves from his enemies. Number two, expose the lie through gospel eyes and gospel ears. Be so fluent in the good news that Jesus Christ saves sinners by his grace, which is a free gift, through faith and nothing else, in Christ alone, of whom, of whom there's no other way to the Father, revealed in the scriptures alone, of which there's no other book, for the glory of God alone, of which there's no other God. Don't isolate yourself. Number three, don't isolate yourself, but fight with us. Fight with us. Corinthians talks about putting on the full armor of God. We need our shield and our breastplate. We need our sword, which is the word. We must fight the good fight. We must fight against false teachings in our church. We must fight against false teachings in our workplace. We must fight against the world that wants to render us useless. It doesn't want to pierce us through. It just wants to cut our legs off so that we can do nothing. Friends, members of Gospel Community Church, this is our fight that we fight together under one banner. Jesus Christ, our almighty Savior, who will return to vindicate us all to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father God, I pray right now for protection over Gospel Community Church. Lord, I pray that your spirit is always at work in this room as we deliver your word and lift up your name and praise your good news that you save sinners through grace and through faith by the one God-man, Jesus Christ. Protect us as we read our Bibles, Lord. Protect us that we would read the text in context. Protect us that, that, that we would not seek false teachings uh, to guide us in our reading of the word. Lord, Lord, keep us from the titillation of a higher knowledge as if there was a higher knowledge. Another gospel as if there was another gospel. Protect us, Lord, in our pursuit of more of you and give us a heart that desires the most that we can get of you, God the Father. Pour out your spirit on us now as we respond. Pour out your spirit as we go out, that we would be protected from the enemy, that we would be protected from his schemes, and that your pure gospel, your pure word, would show in our lives and pour out from our mouths wherever we go. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.